faith, salvation. This is about putting to death the things of the world and recognizing like we need to let go. We need to die and die with Christ. Let all of our earthly attachments die so that we can rise with him. Hi, friends. So I don't know if you heard about this controversy with Elon Musk and, and whatever you feel about it, like, you know, I, whether there's a controversy or not, like, I'm not going to weigh in on it. But I think like to make this like this big, like Watergate scandal, you know, is just like it, it's too big. Like to call it Elon Gate is like a bit of a stretch. Elon Gate, get it? Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 168. If you're a first-time listener, we start every episode with a dad joke, so I hope you enjoyed that. If there is something with Elon Musk in the news, I have no idea. And I hope you are blessed with not being inundated with media either, and that's why you're listening to something great like this. So, if this is your first time, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. If it's been a while since you've done that, that would also be of great help. Make sure you visit our website, manafft.com or manafoodforthought.com. And you can click on the uh, subscribe button to get our weekly email sent to you of our psalm reflection and links to our latest podcast episodes. And uh, you can also click on the give button there on the homepage to become a patron for as little as $1 a month. And you become a sponsor of this podcast and you get access to uh, special talks and perks and things like that on Patreon. And so thank you to all of you who sponsor this podcast for your generosity, your prayer. Um, And lastly, the highest compliment you can pay me in this podcast is to share this with your friends and family. And you can do that uh, by tagging us on social media at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram, or you can visit our website to contact us and find all of our other social media handles there. Also access to all of our uh, previous podcast episodes and Psalm Reflections and all of the other things that we create. So without further ado, let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. So my joy um, is actually that tomorrow uh, we are taking our kids on a surprise uh, combined birthday trip to Disneyland. So my son just turned three. My daughter is about to turn five uh, in about a week and a half. And so we did this last year. We have a connection at Disneyland where we can get in for free, which is incredible. So uh, otherwise we would not go because <laughs> it's so expensive already just to pay for like food and treats throughout the day. So uh, this makes it a lot more manageable. And so that's a huge blessing for us. So uh, if there's anything that you learn from this podcast this week is to uh, when you're trying to make new friends, find ones that work at Disneyland. So just kidding, but it definitely helps. So that's my joy. I know my kids are going to be so excited. My junk is that, and I'm hoping this continues to get better uh, by tomorrow, is that uh, my kids, especially my son, have been very sick this past week. So my kids went to vac- vacation Bible school at a local church uh, last week. And so they're around a bunch of other kids and inevitably you get all of the germs and all of the sicknesses and viruses that are going around. And so my daughter, when she was in school, you know, a month ago, she was bringing all that stuff home. We were, you know, burning right through it, recovering really quick and had this like immunity, but it's been a month and I guess there's something new out there and it just, my daughter's okay, but my son, you know, poor guy, he, you know, threw up three times yesterday. He like had like really bad diapers three times this morning. And so, you know, poor guy. And so I was dealing with that this whole weekend while my wife was away at uh, two different bridal events um, for one wedding, one on Friday, one on Saturday. So it was a, a bachelorette party and a bridal shower Friday, Saturday. And then Sunday, 
a bridal shower for another wedding that she's in the wedding party. And it just all happened to be this weekend. So it was a little wild and crazy, but we survived. We did it. Um, but if you could pray for um, just our family, especially my son, that he would recover and that he'd be doing well. Uh, they've been in good spirits the whole time. A little tired here and there, but uh, no fevers today um, or yesterday. You know, just kind of minimal coughing and just symptoms, getting all the stuff out, basically. So, uh, and then pray that my wife and I don't come down with whatever this is so we can all enjoy Disneyland tomorrow. So, by the time you're listening to this, all of this will have happened already, but your prayers, obviously, uh, can still take effect because God is outside of time. So, please pray for us as you're listening to this. Uh, and then my Jesus moment, a few. Um, we finally got to see uh, our best friends after they were traveling for a while. Uh, we got to reconnect with them. And so that was, it's always wonderful to see them. Um, our parochial vicar here at my, my, my parish, our assistant priest, Father Evan, is leaving. So we got to have lunch with him. It's not a Jesus moment that he's leaving. But we got to have lunch as a staff and just have fellowship. And uh, it's just great to see kind of the multifaceted family of our staff and supporting one another and, you know, all the different things that go on in life. And lastly, uh, my wife and I are starting our uh, small groups um, as a result of our parish mission. We're all compelled to start small groups. So she has a group of uh, four women and I have a group of four men, uh, of which we are one of those four each. And so we all uh, had dinner at our place last week, all eight of us. And it's just going to be great. It's just going to be such a good, you know, two great groups of people, all married couples um, who we know from different, you know, walks of being involved in the church. And I was excited to see how they all got along. And it was just, it jived so well. And uh, yeah, I just am super excited. So pray for us, pray for all of that. That was a little bit long of a life update, but I hope you enjoyed that. Otherwise, you can just skip to this part. So we're going to get right into our uh, episode for this uh, week, which is we're always looking at the second reading for this upcoming Sunday. This upcoming Sunday is the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And our reading is from the book of Romans once again. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 and verses 8 through 11. Romans is an incredible theological treatise on salvation and justification by St. Paul. He's writing to a community of both Gentiles and Jewish, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians living in Rome the Jews just who uh, were gone for five years and then were allowed to return. And so they're dealing with all of these multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic realities of trying to be church when everyone's religious background is different. They're in a cultural epicenter of um, emperor worship and uh, pagan religion, Roman pantheon of gods. And so there's so much that they're facing in Rome. And so Paul in, at least in this section of Romans, he's trying to get to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Like, basically, like, he's trimming the fat off of everyone's kind of cultural reality, off of their own expectations, their own beliefs about what it means to follow Jesus. And he's saying, like, this is, this is basically what you need. You need to die to Christ. You need to rise in him. So that's what this reading is about. So second reading for this Sunday from Romans chapter 6. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Brothers and sisters, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. If then we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has power over him. As to his death, he died to sin once and for all. As to his life, 
he lives for God. Consequently, you too must think of yourselves as dead to sin and living for God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul basically saying here like, look, this isn't about all these other things that you're arguing about, like faith, salvation. This is about putting to death the things of the world and recognizing like we need to let go. We need to die and die with Christ. Let all of our earthly attachments die so that we can rise with him. None of these other things, practices, things you're holding on to from your previous tradition or from the secular world are going to save you. But what this really reminds me of, this, this line, we have died with Christ, what it really made me ask myself this week is like, what is keeping me from Jesus? And, and just the reality that like, I need to kill it. It needs to die. And so like, I, I don't know, it, it's just amazing to me the justifications that we make about the sins that we struggle with. Like if your phone or your computer are leading you to sin, like throw it away. Like be like, I'm being honest. Like that sounds like crazy. Like how do I survive without a phone? Like people have done it before. I mean, people did it for hundreds of years before we invented phones. Like you can find a way to manage or get a dumb phone, get a flip phone. Like, you know, you don't need all of these things that you think you do. And, and it's just, when you put it in black and white, like, is this worth risking heaven over? Like, is this worth going to hell over? Eternal pain, eternal suffering, eternal loneliness, eternal separation from everything that is good, true, or beautiful. Everything that is loving. Like, all of that is gone. Every person that you love, everything that you know, completely ripped away from you. Is your cell phone worth that? Is your computer worth that? Is your addiction worth that? Is alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex, pornography, whatever it is, pride, lust, sloth, is it worth that? Like, we need to be able to see it for what it is see what's leading us away from Jesus and just kill it, get rid of it. Now I'm not advocate. Like if there, if you're like, well, Matt said, you know, kill whatever's getting in the way of Jesus. And there's this person that's really irking me. Like, no, you don't, I'm not saying go kill somebody. I'm saying like, rid yourself of this, like completely. So if it's a person, like remove them from your life socially, <laughs> you know, if it's a, a substance, get rid of it, like remove your ability to get it, expose yourself to it, receive it. If it's an app, if it's something on your phone, block it, delete the app, get rid of the phone, get password protection, get help. Like there's so many steps people can take. You know, when people come to me for spiritual direction or they go to confession, they keep confessing the same thing over and over again. You know, I think sometimes it's just like, look, like you need to kind of take a hard look in the mirror and ask yourself, like, do you really want to be free of this? Because if you do, there's like a thousand other steps that you haven't taken yet that you think you've justified in your head, like, oh, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too extreme. I don't need that. I just need to have better self-control in these moments. Like, no, don't, don't think about yourself at your strongest. Think about yourself at your weakest. You know, like we're basically like addicts saying like, well, I can be in a room that's filled with drugs, but like, if I just have good self-control, like I'm not going to take any of them. No, like you will, like you will do this unless you put something in place. You need to kill these things and let them die. And so what this reminds me of, <clears throat> it reminds me of the scene from the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And if you've never read this, I, I want to read for you the section of this. Um, but if you've read this before, it's the section where, you know, it's the, the, the ghost with the creature, the lizard on its shoulder. And so l- let me summarize this for you. So C.S. Lewis writes this story. And it's basically like a, an allegory, if you will, not a theologically accurate one, but basically like a, an interesting narrative um, allegory of purgatory, heaven, and hell. 
And it basically starts out, there's an unnamed narrator, and he finds himself in a place called the Gray Town waiting for a bus. And so he gets on this bus with a lot of other people, and it flies over the town, and he's talking to people on the bus, and basically it's revealed that like this town gets bigger and bigger as more people enter it. Some people get closer to the bus stop, some people get further away. Other people are millions of miles away from this bus stop. But the bus lands on this huge cliff, and the narrator, other passengers get out, and they see that this is it's a beautiful place, has a river, it's surrounded by grass and trees, but everything is motionless. Even the, the blades of grass, they're, they're rigid, they're hard, they don't move. Walking around, it's very painful. Um, the narrator realizes he do, he's, doesn't have a solid body anymore, so he and everyone else there visiting this place are ghosts. And he realizes that this is the afterlife. And he sees a group of spirits approaching him and the other ghosts. And they, they're, they're bright, they have solid bodies, and they basically they come to convince the ghosts to stay and to come with them to these beautiful, majestic mountains in the distance. Most of the ghosts refuse because they aren't willing to give up certain ideas they have of the afterlife or certain attachments they have. So just as this main character is thinking of returning to the bus, he sees the spirit of one of his favorite authors, an author named George MacDonald, and he greets the narrator and he, he offers to show him around. And so he explains um, that basically the narrator, these ghosts and, and people from the Greytown, you've come on a vacation from hell. Um, it's the Greytown. It's the Valley of the Shadow of Life. And there are many, many people in that town who visit the valley and then they return to the town forever and then it becomes hell to them. But other people stay there in the valley and it's merely purgatory for them. It's a place where they exist before they can kind of climb up to heaven. But people who are too stubborn uh, to go to the mountains, love God, they're like stubborn children. They'd rather be miserable than humble. They go back to the great town and they live out their miserable existence forever. <clears throat> so for the rest of the book, after that you know encounter happens, this author, MacDonald, is showing the narrator around the valley and showing him different conversations between the spirits who are there as part of heaven and the ghosts who are coming to visit to see if they want to stay. <clears throat> so this is one interaction. This is from chapter 11. And I'm going to read it to you, but it's a, a ghost that has something on his shoulder and a spirit approaches him, okay? So this is from The Great Divorce, chapter 11, partway through. The narrator says, I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all of the ghosts, he was unsubstantial, but they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here, I realize that, but he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to make him quiet, 
said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Well, of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, ah, look out! You're burning me! Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment I was only thinking about silencing it, because up here, well, it's, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I think over what you've, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be silly to do it now. I, I need to be in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All present, all days are present now. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, oh, I know, you think I'm a coward. But, but it isn't that, really, it isn't, I say. Let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come back the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You were jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damned thing without asking me before I knew it would all be over by now if you had? I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes. I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may? Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost but ended whimpering, God help me, God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man. Then brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. And if my attention had not wavered, 
I should have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man, naked and not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. As it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I have ever seen. Silvery white, but with mane and tall of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hooves. At each stamp, the land shook and the trees dindled. The new-made man turned and clapped at the new horse's neck. It, it nosed his bright body, horse and master, breathed each other into the other's nostrils. The man turned from it, flung himself at the feet of the burning one, and embraced them. When he rose, I thought his face shone with tears, but it may have been only the liquid love and brightness, one cannot distinguish them in that country, which flowed from him. I had not long to think about it. In joyous haste, the young man leaped upon the horse's back. Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell, then nudged the stallion with his heels. They were off before I well knew what was happening. There was riding, if you like. I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes to follow them with my eyes, but already they were only like a shooting star far off the green plain, and soon among the foothills of the mountains. Then, still like a star, I saw them winding up, scaling what seemed impossible steeps and quicker every moment, till near the dim brow of the landscape, so high that I must strain my neck to see them, they vanished, bright themselves, into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. It goes on to say, Do ye understand all this, my son? said the teacher, Miss George MacDonald. I don't know about all, sir, said I. Am I right in thinking the lizard really turned into the horse? Aye, but it was killed first. You'll not forget that part of the story? I'll try not to, sir. But does it mean that everything, everything that is in us, can go to the mountains? Nothing, not even the best and noblest, can go on as it is now. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial, will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains. Not because they are too rank, but because they are too weak. What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with that richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. So that is the, the chapter uh, excerpt from The Great Divorce. And if you've never read that book before, I highly recommend it because every encounter is just a very convicting example of the things we hold on to and that we attach ourselves to. But in this one, the encounter, encounter with the oily spirit with the lizard on its shoulder and the burning one, the angel, kind of shows how these attachments that we carry, and this one, the lizard, was the attachment of lust. The attachments we, ca we carry, we are not so willing to surrender. We hold on to them. We don't want them to die. We don't want to kill them. But it's only in allowing them to be killed can then our desires and our very lives be transformed into something beautiful that leads to the Lord. And so I don't know what your lizard on your shoulder is, but I know that we all have one and that we all have excuses as to why we need to hold on to it, why it needs to stay. And when it's shown to the light, yeah, it's embarrassing, but 
you know, um, and maybe we'd be horrified if that happened. But we don't often think about how easy it might be to just let it be gone. Like expose it to the light, expose it to the heat of God, the, the mercy of God, and allow it to be completely removed from us. Allow God to kill it, remove it from our lives. And maybe that means exposing our addictions, our sins to people who can keep us accountable. Maybe it means uh, completely deleting things from our life, completely removing certain people, places, habits from our life, removing every, of, uh, every sort of something from our home, from our phone, from our technology, getting protection over whatever that is, screening, uh, again, some kind of accountability. I don't know what that looks like, but I guarantee you, whatever it is you're struggling with, if it's a habitual sin that you've tried to beat over and over and over again, there are a thousand things you have not yet tried because you're too attached to the sin itself. I know that's true in my own life. It has been in the past for things I've overcome, and it continues to be a struggle for the things I still wrestle with. But until we completely surrender and allow those things to die and remove every single opportunity to fall into that sin from our lives, we'll never be free. We'll never be free. And God wants you to be free. He sent you the Holy Spirit so that you would be free because the scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so I want to encourage you, live in the freedom that God has promised you. Whatever is keeping you from Christ, die with Christ. Kill those things so that you can rise anew with him. That's all I have for you this week. Until next time, God bless you and I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.